you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you browse homeowner reviews, compare quotes from multiple local pros, and even book a service instantly. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 879. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Uh, Audible has the best audiobook performances, unmatched selection, the most exclusive content. Say, uh, maybe you want something uh, sci-fi-y. How about uh, The Martian Chronicles, Ray Bradbury? You could have that. Narrated by Mark Boyette. You could listen to it right now. I mean, after this podcast. But then you could listen to it. Uh, Audible will, you know, instead of uh, filling your head with the same music you listen to over and over again, listen to an audiobook after you listen to a podcast. Listen to an audiobook. It'll be available on all your devices, synced up exactly where you left it off. Whatever it is, start a 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free. Learn more at audible.com slash nerdist. Um, let's go to the Nerdist Community Court Board. First of all, ID10T Festival is this weekend in Silicon Valley. Uh, there's panels, you know. We got a con man panel with Nathan Fillion and, uh, and Alan Tudyk. We have Harmontown. We have Mystery Science Theater, Portlandia, The Magicians, uh, Animaniacs, Futurama. Jesus, people, what do you want? Then uh, comedy, music, uh, we have uh, Weezer, OK Go, a lot of amazing comedy, Dimitri Martin, Nikki Glaser. So come on down, and there's a Comic-Con at the center of it. So see a lot of uh, local artists, crafters, makers, all down at the Shoreline Amphitheater, uh, Saturday and Sunday, June 24 and 25, in Mountain View, California. Go to ID10TFest.com for tickets and info. I will see you up there. Uh, also, Will Vega writes, after hearing Chris speak so passionately and often about the virtues of pursuing one's dream in an internet age, I've decided to make a push to expand my online store, Camp Kitsch Press, which is CampKitschPress.com. That's K-I-T-S-C-H. Uh, I design nerdy, kitschy label, lapel pins, patches, hats, shirts. Start as a hobby, but now uh, he's decided to throw his hat in the ring full-time. Good for you! Uh, and give it a legitimate go. If, anything, uh, sees any, if anyone sees anything they like on the site, use the Nerdist discount, NerdistCC, and that'll get 20% off their entire order. Very nice, Will. Throwing a little uh, offer code in there. Also, Kevin writes, I'm a self-described geek who got my pilot's license about a year ago. Chris and company inspired me to make a thing. Uh, the thing is Aviator Geek Channel on YouTube. Watch as I share what I learned about my new passion, AviatorGeek.com. I'm so proud of all of you. Making your thing. Making it happen, not settling for crap, just going out and being happy, pursuing joy. I'm very proud of you. Uh, this episode of Sofia Coppola, uh, speaking of pursuing joy, uh, I adore her work. And uh, The Beguiled is a fantastic, super fucked up movie in a great way. Uh, it's in theaters June 23rd. And, you know, I'm actually, uh, we tell a story uh, in, on this episode. This is, I'm, you know, sometimes they'll do corrections in magazines. This is a pre, I was about to say pre-rection, but that sounds bad. A pre-correction, I suppose. Um, so I tell a story and you'll hear it, but uh, Jason Schwartzman told me a story off the podcast about how he gave, uh, he ordered these books and he gave them to, um, he gave them to uh, Colin Farrell. And Colin Farrell's in The Beguiled, and I didn't, I couldn't remember what the books were. So this is the correction in the podcast. I say I think it was The Beatles or something. No, it was it was a Morrissey and Me, and then a T Rex biography. So you know, when that time comes, you'll go, okay, good. Now I'm just saving you the trouble of tweeting at me and going, oh, that's not what it is, Chris. If you somehow knew that, see The Beguiled in theaters June 23rd. Uh, huge honor to have Sofia Coppola on. Uh, we recorded this podcast at my house uh, just about a week and a week and a half ago. Oh, and also. Here's how cool she was. Uh, Lydia put a guest book in the in the guest bathroom when you first come into the house, and Sofia Coppola signed the guest book in the bathroom, which I thought was very sweet. Uh, so there you go. Here's Nerds Podcast number eight seventy nine. Also brought to you by Stamps.com. Of course, uh, avoid the hassle. Don't go to the post office. Stop torturing yourself. 
Uh, Stamps.com lets you buy and print official U.S. postage for anything that you want to mail, any letter, package, class of mail. Click print, mail, you're done. Unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes. You, you know, like they don't close a minute early and you get there at like 4.59 and they're, and they're you know, spiritually flipping you off as they're like dropping the blinds on the thing. It does not happen uh, on, on the internet. So uh, they're going to send you a digital scale that calculates the exact postage you need. They're going to help you decide the best class for whatever you need to mail. And then uh, they're going to bring all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. Right now you can enjoy Stamps.com with a special offer that includes a four-week trial. Plus postage in a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in NERDIST. That's Stamps.com into the promo code NERDIST. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. But listen to the NERDIST podcast now with Sophia Coppola, number 879. Katie, please roll the thing. Now entering NERDIST.com. Yeah, I don't know. My, my Lydia put that in there, and I, I don't know when that got. I was in there, and honestly, I've I've never opened it. I don't know if I would sign. Maybe I probably would. That's so funny. I would I would put it, I would put something in there if I were at someone's house. Um, uh, thanks for coming to the house. Thanks for having me. Of course, I know this is uh, somewhat. This is kind of informal. It's not it's really. Nice. Yeah. It's not really like a studio. I still feel like a lot of the time the podcast feels like, hey, I'm recording this in my mom's basement, you know, because it's very low. It's very lo-fi. Uh, are you on? Are you in the midst of Beguiled Press tour? I am. I am. We just and we. It's been nonstop. We shot it last fall in New Orleans. And then we've been editing it and got it finished in time for Cannes. And now it's coming out. So it's it's all been kind of compressed. And um, so it's exciting that it's coming out. And do is there any part of the process that you particularly enjoy or don't enjoy? This I'm just the. The inception to the shooting to the editing and then all the press stuff. Because it's a lot of different things to have to get your brain set for. Yeah, I find the writing the hardest part um, and the shooting is probably the most exciting because you're working with actors and you're all on location and stressful. But I, I enjoy editing because it's just me and the editor and it, the movie starts to take shape, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> and... um. And then the promo part is probably the weirdest because talking about yourself all the time um, <laughs> gets a little strange. Do you, do you ever, but now that you've done this so many times, when you're shooting something, you go, oh, I better remember that story because I'm going to be on a couch or an interview and someone's going to go, what's a crazy thing that happened? Uh, no, the shoot's always a blur. And then someone asks you for, like, for an anecdote and you're like, uh, I I, I don't. I can't think because it's just, just all a blur. We were focused on making. The yeah, thing. I think we're in such a yeah, so focused just to get everything done. I mean, we had a sh- it was a short shoot, so we had we're getting we had a lot to do. What was the okay. shooting schedule? We shot it in twenty six days. Oh my god, which is pretty intense. And um, but luckily, it all was in one location. Or we right. shot in two places. It is. It's like a really beautiful play. I saw. It. I got. To, I got to see it. Oh, great! Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's what I liked about it is that it was just so focused and kind of claustrophobic, and it just about um, these characters and and um, and I, I liked that it all took place in one setting. Yeah, I had no idea that there was a 1971 beguiled movie. Oh, really? And I mean, was it, did you find this movie and go, oh, I want to do, I want to do that. Or did someone bring it to you? How did you arrive at it? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of a classic for people that really know movies, but I had never seen it. I didn't know anything about it. And, um, and my production designer who, um, worked on this film and my friend said, oh, have you ever, she saw the movie and she said, I think you need to see this movie. I think you need to make a new version of it. And (laughs) and I was like, what are you talking about? This Don Siegel kind of his art movie. Um, and, and, uh, so I watched it not knowing anything about it. And I was so surprised by the turn, uh, turn of events, right. and what happens. I didn't expect it at all. And it just stayed in my mind. And I thought it was so weird and, and such a great premise, um, about, you know, a group of women and Southern women, and they take in an enemy soldier and, um, and all the sexual repression and the heat of the South. And I've always found, the South to be very exotic because it's mm-hmm. so different than how I grew up. And um, so so then I started thinking about it and I found the book that it was based on, which was out of print, and started thinking about how, how to adapt it. I tried to forget about the movie and just say, how would I adapt this story? Because I just loved the story. Right. I mean, you. I know, you would, I know Virgin Suicides was a book, but have yeah. you ever 
Has any, have you ever done anything else that was adapted from another thing? Yeah, when I did um, Marie Antoinette, it was based oh, right, on the course. Antonio yeah. Fraser book. Right. But, um, but I've done both original and adaptation. And I, I enjoy ad- adapting a book because it, it gives you something to work from. You don't have that panic of the blank, blank page. <laughs> right, you know. right. Yeah, it is kind of funny that they uh, – uh, I was doing a panel yesterday that Neil deGrasse Tyson was on. And he said the worst direction you can give an engineer is – just do whatever you want. You know, <laughs> like they like, go, oh, I need direct, I need something. I need something to hold yeah. on to. Yeah, definitely. I think it's always, always that moment, which I'm about to approach when you finish something, you're like, now what do I do? I can do anything, you know, right. it's, it's, it's nice to have some kind of framework and, and adapting a book is enjoyable. Cause it's like a puzzle. Like how do you turn this book into a movie, which I enjoy. Right. It, it do you have, sort of like a list in the back of your head of like, okay, now I want to do this. Like, you know, just something that you've been holding on to for like decades. Yeah, I don't. I had one story that an original I was, I was kind of thinking about when I was starting to work on this. So I'm thinking I will try to go back to that, but I don't know. I don't have, I've always heard Woody Allen has a drawer of tons of ideas. I, I don't have that drawer. <laughs> <laughs> I think his brain just never shuts off. And yeah. it's just like, he just needs to silence the voices. Like I'll just write this. I'll just deal with you later. Yeah. Um, so now that you're done with this, you go through this process, your press is probably a couple of weeks. The movie comes out June 23rd, mm-hmm. I guess. And then do you take a break? Yes. You do. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yes. Good, good, good. I'm really looking forward to summer vacation with my kids. I have two daughters. Um, and so, yeah, I'm looking forward to. And are they, uh, are they uh, gr- like teenagers or uh, seven and 10? Oh, seven and 10. Okay. Yeah. Oh, they're just about to yes. get to that place where you don't. They don't yeah. want to listen to what you have it's, to say. It's the last few moments where they maybe will want to hang out with me. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to, I want to uh, be present for that. Or, yeah, enjoy spending time with them while they still hang out with me. You can still buy them clothes and they don't go, what is this? Yeah. Mm, the little one, the seven-year-old, but the ten-year-old, I've kind of passed that. <laughs> you passed yeah. that already. And I tell her, you know, people actually think that, you know, like I, I work in fashion. I know about fashion. And she's like, really? Like, yeah. <laughs> she does not want to hear my input in clothes. <laughs> is it a strange – I mean – I feel like it's such a strange time to my, we've only been married since August, but, but eventually, you know, kids are around the corner, but it just feels like such a weird time to be raising kids. There's not a lot of, I feel like positive imagery in the world and there's a lot of craziness and it's just the devices and the, I mean, how, how do you make them connect? Yeah, I mean, we're just on the verge of, of like they don't have phones yet, but um, I'm afraid that yeah, I'll never speak to them again after that <laughs> all opens up. So it's it's a little scary, especially you know for my generation that didn't have that growing up. It's how do you keep them in the real world? And then it's, it's yeah, it is weird. I'm sure for every generation it's probably weird, but it seems especially sci-fi. I think it's especially weird now because I mean, I guess when I was a kid, you know, we just the video game revolution was just starting, but now I mean, there's just just this all the time, and it's yeah. so compelling. If you're a parent and you're busy, you're like, ah, just keep them occupied. Oh, yeah. But then no. they're just not connecting with anything. No, and then the idea of YouTube stars is really confusing to me. <laughs> that, like, that they think it's great to be famous for no reason. I, I it's hard for me because, yeah. Are your kids artistic in any way? Are you fostering? Uh, are you fostering art? Oh, I think all kids are. They like to draw and tell stories, but yeah. I think hopefully all kids do, and then you can hold on to that if you can. But there's something. I feel like there's something particularly potent in the Coppola genes. I love yeah. your cousin, by the way. I, I know Jason. Jason? Yes. Oh, he's the best. He's just the <laughs> sweetest, <laughs> most wonderful guy. Oh, he is. And, but there's something there's something in your family's genes of like, these are all very artistic, talented <laughs> people. I, I know. I guess, um, yeah, it, it's crazy that everyone is so, there's so many creative people in my family. So it's, I guess there's a gene somewhere. <laughs> but it's not even just, I mean, it, it, it seems like there's a, it's a specific type of creativity. It's a type of creativity. It's like, I'm going to go just forge this path of, I'm going to do, you know, these are things that I enjoy doing and I'm going to forge this path. And it doesn't really feel like anyone, I don't know, follows any particular rules that are put forth by the entertainment industry. Oh yeah. I never, I never really thought about it, but um, I guess there's been, you know, examples. My dad set an example of just going out and doing his thing. So maybe by seeing that we, we've learned something from him. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of outsider. But you went to art school, right? I did. I went to Cal arts for a little bit and then art center, which I didn't, I didn't finish school, but I, I did my time. I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be a painter. And then, do you still paint? 
No, no. I tried to recently and, and it was discouraged. So I'd like to try again. <laughs> That's really interesting to hear you say that because I, for me, one of the, when I watch one of your movies, it, they, it always feels like this wide, beautiful portrait. Oh, cool. Like it, fe- okay. not, not even just visually, but story wise too. It just sort of feels like a portrait. Oh, interesting. And I feel like some, you know, at the end, you're sort of left with interpreting what you think it meant to you when you were looking at it. Oh, good. Cause I want to have that, um, impression and not, I don't think like here's a message I want to tell the audience. I want them to experience it and then take away what they do, whatever it is personal to them. So that's nice. I never thought about maybe there's the connection from my wanting to be a painter. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like, do you feel like the audience is always right? If they go, Oh, the movie's about this and they go and someone else goes, no, it's actually about this. Do you feel like, that's- well, it's very personal and that they're all, everyone's right. Yeah, that's the best when people talk about it and have different ideas, and and yeah, that's the that's the most most you could hope for. Yeah, did you always was directing something you always wanted to do, or you you just fell into it after art school? Yeah, no, I didn't. I never thought about it. I mean, I spent my whole life on my dad's sets and was watching him work, and he always talked to my brother and I about um, writing and directing as if you know he was you know, teaching all the time. So, um, but it just never occurred to me or maybe I was just resisting going into the family (laughs) business. And, um, and yeah, so then I spent my twenties trying different things and, um, and it was hard to figure out. I couldn't find that one thing that was satisfying all my different interests until I made a short film just, you know, kind of for fun. And, um, and then I thought, Oh, this is incorporating all the things I love with music and photography and the things I couldn't pick just one. I sure. found it annoying that I had to pick one thing. And, um, and then I read, um, the Virgin suicides and I heard they were making a movie of it. And I thought, I hope they don't mess it up. Cause I love that book. And so I decided to just as a, an experiment to try to adapt that on my own, um, and see like, how you'd write a screenplay from a book. And, um, and then I got so into it that I wrote the script and I thought, um, now I felt really attached to it. And so I, I tracked on the producers and I said, would you please look at my script? And, and somehow they let me direct the movie. <laughs> and, I know. and I didn't, I really wasn't planning on being a director. It was really that book that made me just out of wanting to protect that book. And I was so clear about how it had to be made as a movie that I, um, that I had some kind of drive to make it. And was there any part of you that was like, Shit, if I do this, then there's all, you know, people are going to, they're going to compare and it's weird or just don't worry about that. I just tried not to think about it. I was just so focused on, I wanted to tell that story and I, I had to, had to get that, you know, when you get an idea of something and it nags at you and I just had sure. to listen to that, but I, I tried not to be too self-conscious and, and, um, yeah. And I just, I just thought I had to do it. I mean, it worked out fine. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyway, I don't think that, I don't think. I think that hurdle be, was overcome very, very, very quickly. Uh, no, but it's always a, there was always, you know, there's always a part of that, but, um, but I felt, you know, compelled to make my work. Yeah. And so when you were finished with that, cause I think it was about maybe four years was lost in translation. Oh, three. I think it was around then I made a uh, version of suicides in 99. And, yeah. and so yeah, it was a couple of years later. I, it usually takes me a couple of years in between films because I write the script. I have to, think about what I'm interested in and then write a script. And, yeah. and then, and then by the time you get the financing together and, and with loss in translation, I spent a year trying to track down Bill Murray. So that <laughs> had to be factored in. I mean, you're lucky it was only a year because I hear that guy is like, it, he is mysterious. He is mysterious. <laughs> he might, he may just appear like if you're, yeah. if you're having a bar mitzvah, he might just appear at it. You don't know when Bill yeah. Murray is going to appear. Yeah. It's always, um, it's never boring. It's always, it's always, and it's always exciting to hear about a Bill Murray spotting. I think. <laughs> So. Who was the was it? We had a, the um, uh, Saint Vincent, I think the the, the guy who directed Saint Vincent, yeah. and he and he was just he just left messages on this infamous voicemail that yes. Bill Murray has, and he would just nag him and never heard back. And then one day his phone just rang and he was like, "Hey, I'm landing in L.A. and you know, can you pick me up? Let's talk about it." Yeah, yeah. My my story is not um, dissimilar. I, I left messages on the eight hundred number for. <laughs> Yeah, for ages. And, and luckily, my friend Mitch Glazer, who's a writer who works with him, um, he thought, he looked at, I showed him some of what I was writing for Lost in Translation. He thought it was interesting that I saw him that way, and he was really helpful and, thought, you know, told Bill that he should meet me. And, um, and one day he just called me out of the blue, Mitch, and said, I, I'm here with Bill. He says, come by. They were at a restaurant in New York, and I'll never forget. 
um, going to see him, and he was wearing a seersucker suit. Of course, mm-hmm. of course he was. And then you guys immediately hit it off. Um, yeah, he was. He was really nice to me, and I was, you know, smitten. It's Bill Murray, and then, but he still never committed to doing the movie. And it really wasn't until I went to Japan, like that, I even it was like, "Is he going to show up and do this?" And he, I think he said, "I'm, I'm inclined to do it." And then that was it. And then he showed up. Oh wow! So it was scary the the, um, the moments before he showed up. So what have you learned about working with actors? Like, how, how do you, you know, especially. With someone like Bill Murray, who I'm sure is a very nice guy, but probably has a very specific way of... I mean, every actor, I'm sure, has a specific way of doing things. Some people probably want more direction. Some people probably want to just do their own thing. So how do you... You, you do have to, I, I imagine, be in the personality management business as well. Yeah, I mean, I think you, so much of it is just casting. You know that, that casting the right person, they're going to bring whatever um, you see in them connects to the character. So I think that's that's the biggest part is the casting. And then just being clear what the you know, what the story is and what your kind of what the tone is and, and encouraging the side that you are looking for and, and kind of changing the subject for a direction <laughs> that isn't so much what you're doing, I guess. But, um, yeah, I just feel like they bring so much to it and then it's fun to work together too. And then a lot of it comes together in the editing room too. Gotcha. Where you go. I mean, it, do you, <laughs> do you feel like there are certain things that if you're not getting out of an actor, like, do you have tricks where you're like, oh, maybe, you know, are there certain little fun director things that you can do to trick people into getting what you want out of them? I feel like I've had, a, I've had, a, always had a good bunch pretty, pretty much of like they, they haven't had too much trouble. I'm trying to think. I, I always ask my dad about that because he, he comes from theater and so he, he does a lot of like uh, rehearsals and theater games. And I remember saying like, what do you do when someone's not, if they're not being natural or acting? And he has different little uh, tricks, which I have to remember in his, <laughs> his, in his notes. But I remember him saying that if someone isn't, if you don't like what they're doing, just ask them to just talk about their morning and try to get them to be themselves and forget about acting. So there's things like that, but I haven't had, um, I mean, I've worked with such great actors and, and they've understood what I was looking for, I guess. Well, I mean, I imagine, I guess in that sense, you're probably pretty clear up top. Yeah. I mean, are you very methodical about how everything is mapped out? Do you know, <laughs> like, do you have like, the, okay, everything's storyboarded. This is exactly no. what I'm going to, you don't. Oh no, not at all. I feel like, um, it's, I, I could never storyboard a movie. I mean, I think it's interesting people that do, but I am, I don't know until I'm on the set with the actors, you know, um, where the camera is going to go until you see the, them blocking it. Cause you know, the actors have opinions about what feels right to them. And so, so uh, I try to be flexible and, and figure it out as we go. It's more intuitive. Gotcha. And then do you feel like you learn a new thing each time? You get through and go, oh, wow, I thought I kind of yeah. thought I knew everything, but now I know now I know uh, this. No, I always feel like when I start a movie that it's a challenge and it's and it's like doing it for the first time. And then there's always things that I learn. Um, I can't think if I know specifically what it is, but I always feel like I'm learning something. And, and with this movie, The Beguiled, I um, like doing a movie in a genre I've never done before. So I felt like, oh, that's interesting to learn, like how to do a movie in a genre that's still connected to how I do things and in my style. Yeah. And do you feel, and so you actually do feel like you, when you, if you look at all your, cause when I look at your movies, I go, those are all from the same. I can tell they're from the same person, even though they don't all don't look the same. Oh, thank you. So is that, is that just a natural function of just you doing it? Or do you feel like there's a conscious decision of like, Oh, I, I feel like I need to have it be this way. No, I think it just comes from, I put, myself and my personality into it so i just pick the things that i'm into and so i, th- I guess that comes across and I, th- I feel like that was movies that i or filmmakers that i like you, you you can see the i love when you can see the person who made it and though that's a so-and-so movie um instead of just something that anyone could make that it comes from their point of view so i, I think that i hope that comes across sure. and so in any um even though the movies are different that they all come from my point of view, I guess, or why well, I, I have a really, I hope this is not a stupid question. No, I apologize. This is a dumb question. And going back to what we said earlier, you might go, sure. If you think that, then maybe that's what it is. Do you feel like there is a recurring theme of isolation with your characters? Mm-hmm. Even, I mean, like 
you know, lost in translation. He, he seems emotionally isolated, and he's also isolated in Japan. In the Beguiled, they're isolated in this southern the Virgin Suicides. This family seems kind of isolated at the same time. Like, is there is there a thread? No, you're right. There is, but I don't know why. I didn't. I don't set out to be like I want to do stories about isolation. Um, but I, I love that about this story in the Beguiled. They're so these women so cut off, and the women at wartime cut off from the rest of the world, and they're like ghosts. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I am interested in stories about that. I guess I don't know. I think. When when you're when I'm writing, I'm in a more introverted uh, mood because you're alone writing sure. and you have to face yourself or whatever. <laughs> so it's not my um, you know other side that's more um, you know connected with sure. things. So maybe that has something to do with it. But I don't know. And I and I like stories about ident- you know identity and p- people finding that. And so that's a more introspective thing, I guess. But. I don't feel isolated as a person. Right. Oh, that's cool. But, well, yeah. that's good. Yeah. I mean, it is, you know, the, they are, these women are basically stuck. Well, I'm not, I don't want to give yeah. too much away so people don't feel like anything is spoiled. But, but essentially yeah. they're, they're isolated during this uh, civil, civil war. And so it just, it, I think of a lot of questions like, well, who are, how do they all get there together? Are they all f- related or not related or friends or some of the uh, kids are like, it's a Southern girls school. So they were, the girls were sent there to go to school and then the war broke out and they're, they're they can't stuck. go home. They're right. stuck there. And, um, and I love that it's, it's during that time of the, the South and the civil war where they were like raised to, to be hostesses and have parties and be lovely with, for gentlemen. And it's all kind of about that. And then all of a sudden the party's over, there's no men around and, and, um, and they're kind of stuck, you know, stuck. To the extent where they'll say things in the movie like, oh, the next soldiers aren't going to be by for months, probably. So they're literally just in a plantation. Yeah. And everyone, um, yeah. And the slaves left and, and, and they they have to learn how to survive on their own and they weren't raised to do that. So they're really totally cut off from the world. That's how I imagine it was like for these women during the war. And I think it's interesting to think about, yeah, the women left behind during the wartime. Right. Because then... It raises a bunch of other questions like, well, where do they go? What happens? Where do they go? From I mean, Oh, at the end of the story? Yeah, I'm yeah. sure there's not going to be like a beguiled too. <laughs> <Two. unless> you... <laughs> yeah, I like that you just felt like, um, yeah, that's, yeah, the, they're not going anywhere, I think. <laughs> they're not going anywhere for a while. Is, is it smack dab in the middle of the Civil War or is it kind it's of a couple the years, end? It's a couple years into it. A couple it. years into yeah. it. So they still have, they're still, there's still a lot of runway between them and the end of the war. Yeah, but not that. It wasn't that long. Yeah, right. so... Uh, what is your writing process? I don't know what happens to them <laughs> after the war. That's a good question. Oh, I guess it doesn't really yeah. matter. I guess it's sort of left. To, no. I mean, when people it's see the end of the movie. It. It's fun to think about what happens to them. Yeah. But yeah. especially that la- especially the last shot, which I won't give away, yeah. but it does. That's also like a really beautiful portrait where you're just looking at that. If you just even just saw that as a painting, you go, what the fuck happened? <laughs> Where are these, what's going to happen with these people? Uh, I like it. I mean, it reminded me a little bit of a portrait, the way they're waiting in the in the gate. But yes. yeah, we won't, I won't say too much. No, 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 no. Because yeah. people definitely, there is a, I mean, it's it, there is a twist. And people, yeah. you know, we don't want to give that away. Because yeah. people get angrier at spoilers now than almost anything else oh, okay. uh, on our planet. Well, and, I think it's fun to see it without knowing too much. Yeah. Then it's more of a surprise. So what's your writing what is your writing process when you say you are you do you are you like a 9 to 5er or is it just a well I just write until I can't write anymore Oh yeah I'm kind of winging it I used to um before having kids I would stay up all night and write at night which was my favorite and now I've had to learn to I had to wake up in the morning with a little kid <laughs> with kids so I can't do that anymore so I just kind of fit it in whenever I can and I have a little office and and during the day I'll yeah I'll try to be disciplined but it's not too structured do you allow your brain to wander and get distracted, or do you have tricks for forcing yourself to just squeeze it out when you? Uh, no, it's hard. I think I think it's you have to build in time for procrastinating and call putter time, just where you where you're not doing anything because that's when you get ideas. Um, so it's hard, like when you have more of a structured life and you have a babysitter for two hours and you have to, you know, you can't <laughs> you can't just sit and like look through flip through books or whatever. Um, so. Yeah, I always find I find it I find it hard. It's hard to be disciplined about writing, but um, I don't know. Somehow I got through it. Yeah, I mean, but you must have times where you just feel like, okay, I just started and I can't. My brain is just frozen. 
Yeah. I don't know. I just know what my tricks are. I guess it's good just to go do something else. But and I remember talking to my friend Tamara Jenkins, who's mm. also a director and a writer, because we were both writing at the same time. And she got a program called Freedom so that it cuts off your internet on your computer so you can write oh. so that you don't get distracted with going online and emails oh, and stuff. So that was good to know about because there's so many distractions. There's just all distractions. I know. Now. And you know, it's funny because I think that is. I think that's what people want. They want to be distracted because no one really wants to deal with stuff. It's not fun yeah. to deal with stuff. So we're just all distractions. I know, but I'm worried about what's like, yeah, everyone on their phone all the time. Like when I was telling my kids, like, you need time to space out. Like, when do you just space out? Because that's when you get ideas and that's when you think about things. And I'm worried that our culture doesn't have enough just spacing out quiet time. I 100% mm-hmm. agree because we... It's too enticing to be to just have something distract you and yeah. engage you all the time. And even in line to get a coffee, like everyone's on there. <laughs> everyone's on their phone. Like, yeah. You're in an elevator. You're in an elevator for what? Yeah. Thirty two seconds, and yeah. you still like your phone's out and you're yeah. still scrolling around. Yeah. I know. I'm. I'm just gonna try to cut the cord. Off. <laughs> are you super internety? Are you, are you a social media at all? Do you? No, work? no. not at all. I'm so smart. No. So Don't open that can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> are you worried that you would get? sucked into it or just that the toxicity of it would sort of bleed into your psyche yeah it just seems like such a big commitment and i yeah i just don't even want to go there (laughs) too much (laughs) are you able to you know with do you read reviews are you able to or do you take criticism well or do you know (laughs) who does no i try not to it's because you can read a hundred or hear a hundred good things and then you hear one um mean you know unkind thing and that's the only thing you stays in your mind so i try i try not to look at it too much yeah why do you think that is do you think it's because people are by nature just insecure that they're always doing the wrong thing i don't know something the way our brain works but i don't i need to ask an expert it, i don't know <laughs> i feel like maybe it has something to do with you know in throughout evolution you know we are evolved to need to like be in a tribe Oh, and yeah. then the second it feels like the tribe is not accepting you, you're like, oh, oh yeah. my jeans are going to die. Like, oh, I yeah. always feel like it, it must come, Yeah, it must have some survival I always feel instinct. like my, my jeans are going to die is ultimately the big thing <laughs> that I was afraid of. Yeah, it's probably just built thing. into us, yeah. Do you ever feel like doing a – is there like a, a a movie that like a big scope type of a, you know, I, I don't want to say like superhero movie, but like an action movie or a horror movie or any kind of crazy other genre that you would want to try? Mm-hmm. Um, there isn't one like I'm always wondering about, so, um, but I, I never say never I'm open, but no, I haven't thought about like one that I'd love to tackle. You know, you never, there's not like a horror movie inside you somewhere Mm-mm. just waiting to speak no, out. No, I'm kind of curious about sci-fi, but I don't have any ideas in that genre. What do you, well, it's really easy. Just think of whatever movie you're going to think of and just be like in space. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really beguiled in space. They're on an asteroid. That's so funny. During I don't a, know if I would know how to do that. You don't know. <laughs> what do you watch when you're at home? Do you, is it movies, television? Um, yeah. I'd like when you get like to get into a TV show, but I haven't lately. Um, what have I watched? No, I don't know. I watch movies and, um, I watched, uh, I don't know. That was a while ago. Like the OJ um, documentary oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. series. So I, 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 I'm behind on things, but um, but yeah. Is it kids mm-hmm. mostly that kind of eat up the time that you would be sitting around vegging out in front of a television? Um, I don't know. I've just been so busy finishing this movie, and then yeah, having kid, being with my kids, and I don't know what I'm, <laughs> I, I, what I've been doing, but it seems busy. I, I am, um, or like trying to catch up on emails. But the end of my real life day. Um, but I no, I love. Um, it's fun to get sucked into a show or um, you know watch movies. Yeah, uh, is the business. Do you have any recommendations? Yeah, one tons. that you're watching now. Well, uh, let's see. What are we watching now that's really good? Well, we watch a lot of we watch a lot of horror and we watch a lot of true crime, uh, and so the. <laughs> So I don't want to get stressed out at, at bed when I'm going to sleep. I want, no, I I'm like escapism. Okay. Yeah. Um, Baskets is great. Oh, I heard that. Okay. I, yeah, I love him, so I need to watch that. Zach Galifianakis' okay. show. It's such a beautiful show. It's beautifully shot. It's incredibly acted. Louis Anderson plays his mom, and he's stunning on the show. I mean, everyone is so good on the show. Oh, I have to see it. Yeah. And, and on paper, the premise is... 
is really hokey. I mean, like, it's he's a clown and he wants to be taken seriously as a clown. He went to clown school yeah. in France and he's terrible. And there's just this, like, Buster Keaton layer of sadness to it, but it's so funny and so real somehow. Oh, yeah, I heard it was great and I, I really love him, so I have to see it. Yeah, I recommend, okay. I, I recommend that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I hope you like it. Um, have you ever thought about uh, t- television or, like, uh, you know, I'm going to do a six, eight episode mini arc. I like the idea of, I still call them mini series. But yes, the idea of a lim- limited series. But I like the idea because as a kid, like 80s glamorous mini series was, was very glamorous. Yeah, words. I love, I love that. So I'd love to do something really glamorous for that. Um, but I know I haven't thought of one, but it's, it's definitely, I, I think it's exciting now that you can have an idea that can be five hours long or it can be 20 minutes long that there's an outlet for that, which really wasn't when I started making films. Yeah. And well, I think the interesting part of that though, is some of the stuff that's a limited run you watch and you go, ah, this could have just been a movie. This didn't need uh, to be like really? eight episodes long. Like, there's sometimes you'll get like, they're not suited. Well, you just get to like episode three, four, five and you're like, ah, they're really trying Stretching to, it. they're really trying to stretch this out. Oh, that's true. Uh, have you, when you, by the time you get into the edit bay, do you ever, are you always pretty confident? Like I've got enough of what I needed. Or are you ever stressed? Like, Oh, we're going to get there. And then this shot's not going to be there. Yeah. Well, luckily my editor is in, in touch. She's, she's cutting while we're filming so she can tell us if we're missing something. So yeah. she always tells us, okay, like we, we got enough for that. So, so, so I'm not as worried that we're missing a shot, but, um, but you're always, it's always a relief that it cuts together. <laughs> it's always like, Oh wow, it works. So it's, it's always a, Pleasant surprise. Yeah, when it comes together. But I guess part of that too is just trusting that you know what you're doing at this point. Yeah, and then having my editor checking it every day and telling us. Yeah, and I'm working with a team that's really pro. My cinematographer Philippe Lasort, who's great, um, you know, helped a lot to make sure we had all the coverage we needed. And- yeah. Do you ever give talks or anything? Do you ever like just for mm-hmm. to inspire young people? Particularly young women who might not think, oh, a film is, I could direct a movie. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't see myself as a good public speaker, but I, I'm happy to do question and answers and answer questions. And I, I went to NYU and talked to a class and, um, and we had, we had three young women film students on set who are watching. And so I'm, I'm happy to, um, to try to be helpful to any young filmmakers. Does it feel like the business is, getting any better about encouraging female artists? You know, I, I, it hasn't changed a lot since when I started in 99, which is discouraging, but, um, but it just feels like it's in the air. A lot of people are talking about it right now. It's exciting that Wonder Woman was such a big hit. Right. And, um, and I think, I think it's starting to be known that there is a audience for, you know, female driven subject matter. Yeah. So that's encouraging. Yeah. But I also, I mean, I, I kind of have a little bit of like, um, like bro movie fatigue where it's like, okay, these two dudes are just going to beat the shit out of each other and knock yeah. all the buildings down in the process. Oh yeah. I yeah. feel a little fatigue about that. I'm sure. Yeah. There's so many of those. Yeah, the whole superhero thing has been milked, drawn out, <laughs> I guess, but it's not really my thing. So I know people enjoy that too. I feel like there's, a, there's, I feel like you could do a really cool superhero. Because you would you would have a your 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 point of view on it would be different. And so uh, it would, uh, like meandering existential yes, superhero. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I mean, honestly, think about. Look, we've already seen like you know so much. A lot of superhero movies are so much about what they can do physically. But imagine if you know, let's just say, all of a sudden, you had some sort of crazy. That would fuck with your head. Like mm-hmm. you have a lot of psychological issues to process. There oh would be God. a lot of stuff to deal That's with. I so really, funny. I really think there's. I think there's some. I think we're getting to the point where we where we've seen so many superhero movies, but really kind of exploring the you psychology. Want the Sopranos. You want the Sopranos yeah. version? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah, that's a really great idea. I feel like there could Zach be Zach Galifianakis can be the. Um, Zach would be in it. Yeah, he can. Be, would, he can be the superhero who's doubting his. Newfound powers. I mean, you know, we're we're riffing and it's silly, but at the same time, I'm telling you, I really think there's something there's something really cool there. If you directed it and Zach was in it, I would okay. see the shit out of that movie. Okay, I think on that. Yeah, no, because at least it's not. You know, I think there's something really interesting about coming into a genre that has such an expected path 
and then being able to spin yeah. it and go, well, here's an, a completely alternative point of view. Yeah, no, I think it's fun, the idea of playing with genre. But. Yeah. Is there, uh, I mean, when you look at everything you've done, is, is there a specific genre that you feel like, oh, this is more what I'm suited to? Um, no, I just sort of do my thing, but it was fun on this movie to get into like a Southern Gothic and really embrace the genre aspect and have girls in nightgowns with candelabras and kind of be part of that history or something. And there was a fun challenge in that. And that, I imagine that also probably affects how you're setting the scene when there's no electricity and everything has to be, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We try to make it look authentic, but it was fun to have lots of candelabras and it added to the, the whole Gothic vibe of it and the and the point the spikes on the gate and 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 just the angles like in the in the last section of the movie the angles get more heightened of the camera and you know it's kind of and a little bit of gore for me it was had some gore oh yeah yes mm. there's definitely yeah, a little bit yeah just a little bit just yeah. enough <laughs> yes just enough for me it was a lot but for a normal movie <laughs> yes it's just a, a hint were you not so gore is not your you've yeah, no, it's not my thing, but it was funny because I I would have meetings with the special effects makeup guy, and he was like, "How how big do you want the wound?" and was really into it, and I was like, <laughs> uh, "You know, whatever you think, you know." So it was funny. Well, yeah, because I imagine, especially at that time, any wound is a potentially life threatening yeah. scenario. Yeah, it's a, a different. It, back then, it was more grave. And it's not like they can pour bactine on it, so they're basically it, everything just looks. Kind yeah. of disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, we embrace I, that. You have to embrace that because I think, I think the if we were able to travel back in time, I think the biggest thing we would have to deal with is uh, not immediately vomiting from the smells of another era. Yeah, because it's just everything's just you know. Yeah, it definitely was. That must have been very different. <laughs> it's a smelly. T- it was a smelly yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. It's a smelly time. <laughs> So much commercialism basically taught us that we have to, you know, be presentable and use deodorant and use <laughs> yeah. soap and use it. But for most of human history, I feel like. Yeah, that wasn't the case. <laughs> so one of the good things of living in the modern age, I guess. Is there another era particularly that you are drawn to? Um, no, I can't think of. I mean, I, I enjoyed working on Marie Antoinette because it was fun to to get into um, 18th century and Versailles. And that was probably a really smelly place, speaking <laughs> of that. But um, no, I, I haven't thought of a, spe- a specific era that I would love to get into. But Marie Antoinette too. Marie Antoinette was also like another so beautiful and colorful, and but but kind of had like this modern feel to it. That one I was being more pop with because it was they were teenagers, and I wanted it to have a um, pop feeling. It reminded me of like new, new romantic right. videos when I was a kid. They were always into that period, yeah. so I was kind of having fun with all of that. But also the idea that, in a way, she, it almost felt like she was kind of a prisoner. Not yeah, like a, in her gilded cage. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, that has that, too. That, I like that about the story, that kind of that she was thrown into a role that she wasn't really, she didn't choose. Yeah. And how you find your find your way within where you've ended up. So when you're directing that, is that or when you're writing that, when you're adapting that, is, more, is that more based on the the book, or are you... Are you looking at history as well? It's like, yeah, I'd probably be able to... I was um, adapting it from Antonia Frazier wrote a biography about her. Yeah. That was It was more um, kind of, not from, from her point of view, kind of her side of the story, because most history is, she's a villain. Um, so that was interesting to kind of just follow her take on it. And and um, yeah, so I used that. I, I think I probably could have done more research, but it was so overwhelming to learn all the history. <laughs> that like, the, the parts about the political side was less interesting about, you know, the, I don't know, we call those Star Wars scenes when they had like a, all the ministers sitting on the table and like, <laughs> we, we need to leave. And I was just like, oh, so out of my element. Um, but we had to have a little of that in it. But I, I preferred this stuff that was more about her, you know, emo- emotions. And- yeah. Did you learn a lot about, did you learn more about directing from hanging around the set when you were a kid or from acting? Oh, for, definitely from being around my dad's sets. I, I mean, it helped to be, um, a little bit in front of the camera just to know how how vulnerable that, that is. And so I'm sensitive with my actors. But um, but I learned so much from being on my dad's set all the time. Yeah. And it was always fun and exciting to go to the set. And the people that were around him, you know, all the people he worked with. And What do you – I always like to ask directors what they – how do you – what do you what do you think the job of a director is? Like what – how do you – when you go to work, what is it that you think you're doing? How do you define it? 
Oh, that's funny. I never, good question. Um, well, everyone has a different, everyone has a slightly different am I doing? take on it. Um, I mean, you have this idea in your head of this story you want to make and, um, and then you just get all your, get your team together and uh, ask them to help you make it. <laughs> and that's it. You're just yeah, telling a story or I, have an, I definitely have an idea of what the movie looks like in my head. And then, um, it's, I heard Fellini one time say that it's like trying to remember a dream. And, um, I thought that that's the most the closest thing I can relate to it. You know, you just have this idea in your head and, and then you have to communicate it to uh, the visual, the team helping you with the visual side of it and the actors and everyone to interpret that and then kind of keep guiding it to this idea you have in your head. Yeah. Cause I, you know, if you're painting you just have a brush and it's you and that's yeah. it and it's a canvas, but you really are managing a lot of people that cover a lot of disciplines. Yeah. So you have to be clear to, to them about how you want each element to be and, um, and what you're doing. Yeah. Do you think that does the story inform the characters or do you think the characters inform the story? Like which, where do you kind of lean if, Oh, I guess more from the characters. Like I'm interested in stories that are driven by the characters, but I guess they both affect each other. And this was more for me, much more plot driven, which I've never done anything that was so, you know, thinking about tension and suspense and that the plot was really unfolding, um, which was an experiment for me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you're shooting this in 26 days, you said, are you just doing like two takes of everything and be like, we got to move on. I know not that bad. We, we had a little more time, but it was you, you, like one big scene. Then you rush right into the next one and you can't even, it's kind of good because you can't think too much about it. You just have to um, keep going. Yeah. I think that's, you a, can't doubt yourself. You, you can't. don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good thing. You can doubt yourself. Average. Just like yeah. you defer it. Like, mm-hmm. I'll just defer this. Mm-hmm. Um, have you done a lot of, I really, I really think that there would be, a, I think there's also a great thing for you with, it's not that I'm telling you what you need to do with your career, <laughs> but, um, but I think it'd be really great for if you were able to do more Q and a type stuff for more, just, Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Just because I think people, you know, especially now, especially now because people can, you know, oh. make anything so inexpensively. Oh yeah. And even just in the short time since you started, Things were very different in the 90s in terms of like, oh, you really do have to get film. You got to get. Yeah, no, it's cool that um, I still I still love shooting on film. This was shot on film. But I, I think um, when people ask me like, oh, what, what's your advice? It's like anyone can make a movie and just to try things out. It's great that it's accessible and that you can just try things out and it's not um, anyone can do it. Yeah. How much of it is how much of it to you is science and how much of it is just is it art and gut? Where you're like, oh, you know, every so often this thing has to happen or just, oh, I'm just going to, I'm just, I'll feel it. Um, yeah, it is more intu- intuitive, I think, to me. But then but then there's things I know just from, you know, learning about like the act structure and things from my, but I was a writer first before directing. So I think I learned about writing from him talking about writing. And so it's a combination, I think, of of you know having some history and yeah. and knowledge of that and then and then 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 being intuitive of what feels right right uh do you not too big no 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 not at all actually yeah i mean it is i think you probably because i the thing the the recurring theme that seems to come up is just like flexibility yeah where it doesn't matter how rigid you are going into something going this definitely has to you know yeah because you can't control it. things happen you lose your location like you have to you have to be flexible and just come up with um you know reacting to the situation of, and how that can be close to what you're the path you're trying to make yeah are you a pretty patient person in general um oh i don't know not <laughs> I, I can be but then i'm not when um i'm excited about something that i'm not patient but it doesn't. You don't seem particularly aggressive. Like, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> so your impatience is just more of like an excitement. Yeah. Like, oh, let's do yeah. this. Let's make this. Yeah. And you still feel that way when you go on a set. You still feel that. Yeah, this one I really wanted to um, make this movie, and I um, and yeah, it's always a you know, challenge to get it all together. And I just was so like determined that I wanted to make this movie and I think you have to ha- have that because you hear a lot of no's and then you just have to find another way around it so <laughs> it helps to be kind of stubborn sure mm. yeah or uh, persevere because yeah. you also I know you work in fashion I mean you have worked in fashion yeah. too but I imagine that's a completely separate yeah I mean that's so I like I like to do kind of side projects and smaller things because movies are so involved and it takes years and so it's nice in between just to do kind of smaller things 
yeah. to dabble creatively. Yeah. Do you ever just kind of run out and go, you know, I'm just going to go shoot a short film this weekend. I don't really know what it's going to be. I'm just going to go just to scratch uh, that itch. No, I wish. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but um, oh, but my my 10-year-old daughter is really into horror and gore, so I, I thought we could make a horror film this summer. So oh, i got to really get that together. <laughs> That'd be really fun. <laughs> I should give you uh, – I, I sh- I'll what? get you a list of some really good – Horror movies. Oh, yeah. I would love to know. Like good arty horror movies. Yeah. Your um, favorites. Yeah. There's one out now that she might like because it centers around a little girl. It's called oh. uh, The Girl with All the Gifts. Oh, Glenn cool. Close is in it. Oh, I've never heard of that. It's just really cool. I think it might be British because everyone else in the movie is British but her. Oh, okay. Um, but it's a, it's sort of a – it's it's kind of a zombie apocalypse uh, story, but it all kind of centers around this one this one little girl. Oh, cool. It's really cool. Is it scary? Yeah. But not too scary? No, well, I mean – She'll love it. So, zombie, zombie, zombies. I mean, like any good zombie movie is gory. Yeah, yeah. So there is a lot of like blood and flesh tearing. But if she's, she'll love that. So she's, so she's <laughs> yeah. cool with that. Yeah. She'll probably like it. I mean, you know, it. Do you think you will encourage your kids if they want to go in entertainment? Do you think you'll be like, sure, do it. Why not? Or are you going to be like, hey. I don't know. I can't. I want them. I want them to do what they want to do. But I'm not like guiding them and trying to um, push them in that direction. Right. But it doesn't sound like your dad really pushed you in any particular direction. No, but he always just talked to us about it as if we're just going to do that. <laughs> you know, like he was always talking about, like, well, when you're, you know, when you're writing the script, you make sure, you know, so he, um, I think it just, he was so, always so passionate about his work and he loved, he always talked about it in such a excited way that you can't help kind of being around that and get into it. Yeah. Kind of seems like with kids though, you, and this is just my guess because I don't have them, <laughs> but if you tell a kid like, do this, they're going to be like, no. But if you just sort of leave some clues around and they feel like they're sort of discovering it for themselves, yeah. then then maybe that's the way in. Yeah. Was like, when we grew up, when we were growing up, he was always watching interesting movies and they were, we were exposed to, you know, great movies. And I think like like kids, I they don't want to watch, you know, you can't <laughs> be like, here, we're going to watch this. It was better that he just had it on and we were there and we saw them, you know, as opposed to whenever I try to show them something like, we don't want to watch an old movie, you know? So, um, but I think it is, it's helpful to be, yeah, exposed to some culture. Well, especially the pacing of old movies. Yeah. I don't know how a kid would sit through. Yeah. Even anything from like the seventies or the eighties. I know. Where it's just like, they really take their time. Yeah, no, it's true. It's funny because we were watching, um, trading places the other day, which I love. And it was really fun to watch with them. But then like Jamie Lee Curtis would just take her top off for no reason. And they were like, why is she taking your top off? And I was like, well, it was in the eighties and probably a a guy directed it. It was John Landis. Yeah. Yeah. It was so, yeah. Um, yeah, I love that movie, but it was just funny to, um, to revisit with them. I think some of that too was honestly, I think some of that was probably just like, well, you know, uh, we got to put boobs in it for international. Like no, I, there think, was... I think the international sales was based on like how many topless shots. That was like a thing then, I think. But I love that movie. I, um, yeah, Dan Aykroyd with the salmon and the beard. And the, be- yeah. the Christmas scene. <laughs> and, yeah. But you're right. There is literally no reason for Jamie Lee Curtis to have her boobs out of yeah. there. There's, like, it, it doesn't serve. Yeah, there were two scenes right in a row that had no, <laughs> nothing to do with it. Yeah, no plot. Oh, yeah. One of them is that Eddie Murphy has a bunch of people over to his house to, when he takes over oh, the house. Yeah. And there's just a woman in his, in his bed. Oh, and he's yeah. like, put your clothes on and get out of here. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that one. But it's just, yeah. there's just no, yeah. Yeah, there, that there one was, sort of fits in a little bit because they're being decadent. But, right. But when she when she brings him home to the apartment and she's... Like just changing in the bathroom while she, he's getting settled in. It is really the era of the eighties. Yeah. Are really could be defined with the words gratuitous boobs. <laughs> yeah, just no... I, forgot, I just forgot about that. Like we all grew up with. That. I didn't even notice at the time. Well, that was yeah, like the those R-rated comedies in the eighties were. Oh like, right, the whole, the whole Porky's. Yeah, Porky's or yeah. I, I I get Fast Times was probably R-rated, oh, yeah. wasn't it? I get. I just remember that this fame, the Phoebe Cates moment that everyone said the VHS copies were all um, messed up because everyone rewound that. <laughs> the boys rewound that scene. Oh, that's the one where yeah, where Judge <laughs> Reinhold is yeah, yeah, just cranking it yeah. and, and thinking about Phoebe yeah, Cates. Yeah, yeah. I love that movie though. It's such a classic. How do you define that era? Like, what do you think when you think back of you know '80s movies? Like, what do you think that was? What do you think it was that they were? You know, I haven't sat back and asked myself that, that question. What what were they thinking? Well, I mean, just like you know, like defining the sort of like the tone of an era or the vibe of an era. Oh yeah, I felt like it was sort of it had an innocence to it, or I don't know. Um, I don't know. I love those John Hughes movies, and and all those movies we're talking about. They had a kind of optimism or something. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you feel uh, particularly optimistic? Are you an optimistic person? Um, I wouldn't say that I am, but I try not to be negative. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I kind of stay in a little bubble and not try not to be too aware of the awful things that are going on. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to figure out how to climb into that bubble. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. Yeah, once you've once you're not in that, I'm not sure how you. <laughs> It's the matrix, right? Yeah, once you yeah. take the once you take the yeah. once you take the pill, yeah. it's like, well, you're, <laughs> yeah. sorry, you can't go back. Yeah, this is it. You know you what can it cut is. Cut off some, some, I think. Uh, what is it? You know, when you have free time, what do you what do you do with it? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've just been I've just, I've just been um, working on this. I think um, I don't know, seeing friends and uh, going. I love to see movies in the theater. Um, and New York has, you know, old movies, which are fun to see. And, um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I have lots of interests, but I, I like, um, I'm into taking photos, but I haven't, I, I haven't done anything outside of this movie in so long that I don't remember. It's hard to remember. Yeah. Yeah. I think New York would be a much better place to live, to go to movie theaters. Cause you know, LA driving traffic and parking are always the biggest consideration. Oh. Like, Oh, we could go there, but then we gotta... I know. I know. It's hard when you have a nice setup at home. But then I think when you see a movie with an audience, I think it's so, I don't know, it's so enjoyable to, it's such a different experience. Can you watch your movies with an audience? Like this one, The Beguiled, I've, I've seen recently, and it's really fun to watch it with the audience because they laugh and people are freaked out. And it's it's such a different experience. I'm, I'm used to seeing it, you know, just me and the editor but without a reaction. So, um, yeah, I really enjoy it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and there's like that that kind of communal thing that happens that you forget when you're home downloading, you know, streaming things. And I, I imagine you're surprised by things that people react to. Like, oh, I didn't realize that would be a thing that people would. Well, it, there's things that we thought were really funny, so it was so enjoyable when you hear people laughing and, and catching those moments that you weren't sure if, if they were, you know, how noticeable they are. So it's yeah. fun. Yeah, um, I feel like we're probably getting close to your okay. time because it's just after five. I'm going to see the um, oh at the New Beverly tonight. Uh, Quentin Tarantino. We're doing a double feature of the Don Siegel Beguiled, oh. my movie, uh, with a Q and A. Oh, that's fantastic! Uh, so, are you, is, are you, is he doing Q and A? And you're doing Q and A? He's asking me questions. Oh, he's asking you yeah, questions. Yeah, we're talking. We're having. I don't know. We're talking about it. So, I mean, I would imagine you guys are friends yeah. at this point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, it'll be fun to talk to him because he's so enthusiastic. Yeah, I mean, and it's really cool that uh, that the whole the thing that he did with the new Beverly is such a great. I know. I haven't been there in years, so I'm excited to go. I mean, every every time I drive by, it's on the way to one of the places that I work, and I was like, "Shit, that double feature looks really good." Right, I know. We got to make more time for double features. It'll be like you know, Stripes and <laughs> Ghostbuster. You know, it's just like yeah. he he's such a. He's it's so a, passionate about... I know. It's so cool that he's doing that. So, yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, June 23rd is the movie. Do you have any last bits of... I don't know. I, I always like to find out from people, like, what is... What's, like, a guiding principle or what's a piece of wisdom that you have that you kind of keep in your head, I, a guiding principle of sorts? Oh, that's a good question. What is my... <laughs> I don't know. I try to... um. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I try to only work on things that I really um, love and, and don't do something for money. Right. <laughs> That's important. Like, you have to really, I think, you know, something that you would just do if no one was paying, just that you'd have to do as far as creatively. Are you okay know. taking money? I mean, like, I don't, in, in the oh. sense that if someone was like, here's a shit ton of money to do this thing, do you feel like, oh, even if it's something that I'm passionate about, does that get in the way or oh. do you? No, I mean, I've never had that experience. <laughs> but um, you know, if it was something that I was passionate about, then then, then I'm all for it. But um, I just mean, to, I don't know, to make sure you're doing the things you really love. Yeah, excellent. And, uh, yeah. Well, I'm so yeah. glad. I hope you. I hope and you I look nice... to like Muhammad Ali as someone as dignified and graceful under pressure. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I think about him. Uh, you think about Muhammad Ali often. I do. I mean, he's like one of my role models for when things are. You know, when you're struggling with something, like the the whole, his whole rope-a-dope. Did you ever to, get to meet him? No, no, I didn't. But I remember someone telling me when I um, I was going to show my first movie in Cannes, Virgin Suicides, and I was nervous. And he said that Muhammad Ali, when he goes into the ring, he would think, did I train hard enough? Did I do my, everything I could to prepare? 
And, and, and that helped me to think like, yeah, okay, I did everything I could and, you know, you see what happens. Well, that's an excellent piece. Oh, that, is a, that is a great landing point. Oh, good. Um, but it was a really pleasure talking to you Thank and you. Uh, congratulations on the movie. And, you know, I'm a fan of your work and I'm a fan of your family and I love Jason and Aww. I'm going to shoot him an email afterwards. He's the, he's the, <laughs> the sweetest guy. He told the story. He told me a story and he didn't tell it on the podcast, but it was after a podcast about Colin Farrell. Who was in the beguiled? Oh yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah. He knew him. I don't know what that about meeting his little daughter. Or no, no he Jason. This is just what a sweet guy he is. He goes. Um, I think it was a maybe a Beatles book or something. He ordered a book. Oh yeah, what was that story? <laughs> I, yeah, I can't remember that. But yeah, tell me. He ordered a book, and he had been waiting weeks, you know, for forever to get this right. book, and he finally got this book, and he met Colin Farrell, and he was so charmed and. It's like at a loss for words, and Colin Farrell goes, "Oh, that book! I know. I mean, I've been dying to read that." And Jason just goes, "Here, I yes. got this for you," and just gave it to him. Yes, and, I remember that. And I go, "Did you get to read the book?" And he goes, "No, <laughs> I never just reordered got, it." He didn't. I mean, maybe he reordered it, but so at funny. that time, he just uh, all he could think to do was just hand him I the book that he had that. been waiting for. Yeah, Colin is so charming, charismatic that you he compels you to do things like that. That's yeah, so he really. Is. And Jason's so sweet that. And giving that he would do that. It's, 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 like it's a cute, sweet story. Well, thank you so much oh, for coming on. It's been you. a pleasure. Thank you. This is so nice. Have to enjoy your burrito, everyone. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast was brought to you by Norton. Get the security you need and the speed you want with Norton Core. Go to Norton.com slash Nerdist to save $30 if you pre-order before July 1st. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like sure. to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This mother lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the way back machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts